StoryCorps Detroit is supported by the Detroit Historical Society. From Detroit's public radio station, WDET, this is StoryCorps Detroit. We take interviews of Detroiters by Detroiters and share them with you. I'm Sasha Ryan, and as always, I'm joined by StoryCorps Detroit producer, Laura Herberg. Hey, Laura. Hi, Sasha. In Detroit, there are two major newspapers, the Detroit Free Press and the Detroit News. The Free Press's editorial page falls solidly on the left, while the Detroit News is pretty center-right. That's according to the editorial page editors of each of the papers, who interviewed each other for StoryCorps. Stephen Henderson has been the editorial page editor of the Detroit Free Press since 2009. He's also a Pulitzer Prize winner. And let's not forget his biggest claim to fame. He's the host of WDET's weekday public affairs program, Detroit Today. Of course. Nolan Finley has been the editorial page editor of the Detroit News since 2000. And he was inducted into the Michigan Journalism Hall of Fame in 2012, even though he's still an active journalist. In some ways, their backgrounds are strikingly similar, and in other ways, they're undeniably different. Henderson is black and born in Detroit. Fenley is white and was born in Kentucky. They discuss in this StoryCorps interview how those individual experiences helped form their opposing viewpoints. Stephen kicks off the discussion. Despite these differences, despite us sitting on the opposite sides of the political fence, uh, working for rival newspapers, you and I are pretty close friends. Yeah, we respect each other. Yeah, we we socialize together. Uh, we we work together in other yeah. forums on television and on uh, radio occasionally. And I wanted us to talk about how we got to these spaces. I was, you know, I came into this world with some pretty harsh circumstances. I was born in Burksville, Kentucky, which is in the foothills of the Appalachians. No hospital. I was born in a doctor's office, taken home right away to a, I, the only way I can ex, can describe it is a three-room shack. And I keep a painting of it, a photograph of it on the wall of my office just to remind me of how humble it was. In my family, I was the first one to complete high school and just barely. Mm-hmm. But uh, my parents worked every day of their lives. They worked when we were there. They worked when we came up here. And we came up here to blue-collar suburb of Garden City. They immediately started factory jobs. My dad did. So that shaped me in terms of how do you get ahead in life? You work. And so how does that lead you then to be to, to lean conservative in terms of, of your politics? You know, being from that part of the South, um, Lyndon Johnson, his programs did some good things in the rural South, sure. but they also did some some bad things in terms of establishing a culture of dependency and destroying individual initiative. And I think there's nothing more powerful than an empowered individual. I think people, when left alone, will make the right decisions. My grandfather, who also uh, never graduated high school. Uh, his family moves to Cincinnati when he's, I think, a teenager. Uh, he gets a job in the factory uh, there. And they come up from the South at one point. Yeah, right. He uh, Valdosta, Georgia, was where he was born. He rises through the ranks of the Union to become uh, a pretty close friend and aide uh, to Walter Ruther, who started the UAW. Walter Ruther decides that he needs my grandfather here in Detroit to help the Union cultivate uh, the, the the sort of rise of African-American political aspiration. And by the time I'm born, uh, it's a pretty middle-class family. 
when my parents divorced, uh, things got a little tighter for yeah. my mom, and she had to make a lot of choices about what to spend her money on. Mm-hmm. Do you buy a house, or do you send your kids to a better school than Detroit Public Schools, right. which were already in in uh, in tough shape? And so we lived in a housing project for seven years so that she could have money, enough money, to send us to a better school than the school around the corner. Um, and so when I think of home, I think uh, in a lot of ways of that housing project. There were families who had almost nothing, who had to depend on a government program, some of them, in order to, to eat every day, let alone uh, try to get out. Um, a lot of the people I knew uh, who lived there are now themselves professionals. The kids I grew up with in that uh, in that housing project, they got out through education. Right. And that was the way, you know, we, we focused on it. That was what my mom was focused on. I think what, what makes me uh, a progressive is in large measure – sort of the history of that progress, particularly that progress for Mm African-American people in uh, the United States. Also, there was always a progressive-minded movement behind the progress for African-Americans, the progress for women. You know, I grew up in a a household where my mom was the head of household, and opportunities that she had to work and to move ahead at work were about uh, the feminist movement. With me, you know, coming out, of small rural South community, mm-hmm. we took care of our own. We took care of each other, and we were very suspicious, as I said of government. before, yeah. of government and outsiders. We also believed as farmers in the marketplace, even though nobody gets screwed over by the marketplace more than farmers. <laughs> um, the free market can be messy, but I think it's a more it's the most efficient regulator. I think eventually it gets to the place it needs to do, and it's also the greatest generator of opportunity for individuals. Of course, the market for people who look like me has always played a little bit of a different role. Mm -hmm. If the market were winning, for instance, we would not have had Jim Crow for 100 years. It was the the most inefficient system where you're locking an entire class of people out of equality. But by the way, that also hurt the market and continues to hurt the, the economy. As a conservative, people sometimes ask me, well, you're all for affirmative action and inclusion programs and trying to make sure African Americans share in what's going on in Detroit. I feel like that's a conservative position. Creating a permanent underclass. Mm-hmm. It's not good for it's the economy. It's against the market. It uh, against the market. It costs, you're spending money inefficiently then. You know, I think those sort of racial exclusion policies and attitudes are horribly anti-free market. You right. want everybody to participate. You want everybody seeing and believing they can get ahead because what happens when they believe that? They work harder. They right. produce more. Right. And so I, I think racism was the most, is the most anti-market force in America. So tell me what you think. If you look at progressives mm-hmm. like me in the, in in today's debates in today's political arguments. What are we missing from your point of view? What are the things that we do or say or believe that says to you, well, I can't get on board with that? Yeah, I think progressives are slow to learn from their mistakes. This program didn't work. So the answer is not trying something different. It's double double down on this program. We see that in the Obamacare debate today. We've seen it across the board with this, with job training programs and other programs. You know, it's not that I would say, well, I'm against those programs. I'd like those programs to work. And I think 
judging those programs on their performance is is not a unfair ask. And I think you feel like progressives too, don't do that. I think progressives are too slow to admit something's not working, and ch- and so let's change it, and maybe we change it and try something. You know, we didn't think would work, but right. we'll give it a chance. And you might say the same thing, conservatives. But you know, that's what I see um, on. Yeah, on that I don't know side if I would. Have the, I don't know if I'd have the same criticism of conservatives because actually, one of the things I I sort of admire about conservatism is the daring part of it, right? Yeah. So, so for instance, in, in the school debates that we yeah. have mm-hmm. right now about how to fix public education in the country. You know, conservatives are are the ones who are pushing these innovative models, these really different ways of thinking about it that go beyond, you know, the old public school structure and say, well, what if we tried it this way? What would happen? And sometimes I'm a little a little jealous even Mm -hmm. of that spirit. Now, the criticism I'd have of it is that it's too experimental and it's too driven by business and profit and that the idea that the profit motive and the market solve every problem and in, and in education in particular you know i understand that how difficult and expensive it is to deal with student populations who come from abject poverty and and particularly in large numbers and so i feel like the ideal on the conservative side always wins out that the market's right and that uh, you you don't want regulation instead of looking at well as a practical matter you do need government to do things that that the market would never would never incentivize so i think the profit motive brings accountability but beyond that one of my um, complaints against conservatives in terms of education is their failure to recognize that all, not all children are created equal. Right. And this idea that if we just whip the teachers a little harder and we whip the unions a little harder, and, and believe me, I think the unions have caused a lot of yeah, problems in education, the unions, right? and um, we'll produce the same results in Detroit that we do in Troy or, or Gross Point. This, this notion that all kids come to school as blank, the same blank ca- canvas, it's, it's just not true. How do you get people to see that, okay, the other side may not see things the way I do. They may not come from where I come from, but they got some ideas that I ought to think about and maybe incorporate into my own so that I can appeal to them as well as the people who agree right. with me. I don't know because we're not moving in that direction. It's moving the opposite it's direction. Moving the opposite right now. way. I, I don't want everybody to think alike. You know, I'll no. state that. I don't I want that tension that comes from um, disagreement and the whole process of talking things out. And I'm distressed by this, the fact that compromise has become such a poisonous word on both sides yes. now. And I wish I had an answer, but yeah, I know I it's one I of the too. things that distresses me the most that we can't seem to, everybody's got to have 100%. I mean, I think one of the things that, that um, is a potential solve for this is exactly what we're doing here sitting and talking yeah. and talking not just about the things that are going on right now and what whether we agree or disagree with each other about it, but why we think that way right what is what what's your experience that leads you to this this conclusion what's what is it about who you are that says you believe this and i think it's harder to paint somebody as a villain when you when you understand that, yeah. even if you still disagree with them, it's harder to to demonize people when you really do know 
who they are and what they think. I, I'll tell you, though, I mean, there's a lot of individual yeah. in this. It's yeah. not all experience, but it's fascinating to explore how people got to there, yeah. to where they are now. That was Detroit News editorial page editor Nolan Finley and Detroit Free Press editorial page editor Stephen Henderson. The interview was recorded by StoryCorps at the Detroit Institute of Arts. And there's actually a longer version of this interview that was broadcast on Detroit Today. In that version, Henderson and Finley talk more politics as well as go into the history of the papers. We'll put a link to that version on the post for this episode at wdet.org slash StoryCorps. Thanks for bringing this to us, Laura. Yeah, of course. This podcast is a product of WDET, Detroit's public radio station. This episode was produced by Laura Herbert. Our music is by Will Sessions. If you want to make sure that you hear the next episode of StoryCorps Detroit, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. While there, you might also want to subscribe to Detroit Today. It's an hour of news and politics to keep you informed about what's happening in the region, the state, and the country. I'm Sasha Ryan. Thanks for listening. StoryCorps Detroit is supported by the Detroit Historical Society. Hey, it's Sasha Ryan again. I know I just left, but I wanted to come back to say that if you want to support WDET's work like this podcast, we'd love it if you would join Team DET. The cost to become a team member is whatever you choose. You can't beat that. You can give now at WDET.org or click support in the WDET mobile app. Remember, every little bit really does help.